Well, thank you very, very much indeed for uh, having uh, my wife, Cathy, and uh, myself with you this morning. It's a very long time since I was here last. I'm not quite sure when it was, but I do know it was last century. <laughs> so, uh, and that relates very much to something I want to talk to you about this morning too. By the way, I met George Ashley uh, as I came in. George and I know each other from uh, a very long time ago and uh, from last century. And uh, I was reminded of that just so graphically when I asked him how his eldest son, Warwick, was. I last saw Warwick when he was 18. And to my amazement, George said, well, Warwick is now 65. Isn't that incredible? So uh, that all relates to uh, what I would like to speak to you about this morning and the Lord willing uh, next time when we uh, return in, um, toward the end of this month. Um, and so because this is the first of two visits um, on my part, um, I'd like to uh, approach these two sessions as part one and part two of the same theme. In other words, there'll be many things left unsaid uh, this morning, questions in your mind that hopefully we will uh, address on that next occasion. Um, but especially I want to speak to you about being God's people in the 21st century and about moving from maintenance to mission in a time of transition. It seems to me that if we are going to have authentic and effective churches uh, in the immediate and uh, the longer term future that um, several things there are several things that we need to very seriously consider now I'm just pausing here because something is not quite happening as I expected but there it is being God's people in the 21st century moving from maintenance to mission in a time of transition and uh, as we find ourselves in a time unlike that of any previous generation of Christians, it seems to me that one of the very, very important issues for us is that of understanding our times. It's absolutely crucial these days, more than perhaps ever before, that God's people understand the nature of their times. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12 and verse 32, we read about the men of Issachar, and of them we read, the men of Issachar understood their times and they knew what God's people should do, which is exactly our need at this present time. Someone has well said that there are three kinds of people in the world. Some people make things happen, some people watch things happen and some people wonder what happened. And I think many of us are in that third group. I met a lady like that the other week. She said, I know something's happened. I can see it in my children. I can hear it in my grandchildren. I know something has happened, but what? What? And many, many Christians in the Western world in particular are feeling like her. Now, it's only 12 years ago that we celebrated a momentous event, the beginning of the 21st century. And uh, you may well remember that all around the world were massive celebrations, including huge firework displays, and we saw them on television and it was a, there was a great deal of excitement. 
And perhaps one of the most astonishing and uh, delightful things for us as Christians uh, was to see the fireworks display uh, in Sydney Harbour and all those lights across the bridge and above all things the word eternity from one side of the bridge to another that was an amazing and, and wonderful occasion. So we were privileged to see the arrival of the 21st century. But more than that, we were especially privileged to see the advent of the third millennium. Very few people, relatively speaking, lived to witness the beginning of a new millennium. But we were in on that as well. So we saw the arrival of a new millennium and a new century. We have uh, five children, four daughters and one son. They all consider themselves young people but I very much enjoy reminding them that they were born last century, last millennium in fact. So this, uh, this is something of the nature of the times in which we live. But exciting and important as though all that is, there is something immensely more significant for us as Christians that has happened in the last few years also and far outweighs the significance of the beginning of a new century or a new millennium and that is we have witnessed just a few years ago the beginning of a new era a new era which many call the post-Christendom era and as Christians and as churches we now find ourselves functioning in that context and we really need to understand what that means for all of us I think uh, we need to have a much better grasp of Christian history too. And Christian history is well understood as being comprised of three eras. First, the pre-Christendom era. Second, obviously, the Christendom era. And uh, thirdly, uh, the post-Christendom era. The first of those uh, covered the first 300 years of the growth of the Christian church. Uh, that time about which we read especially in the New Testament when the Christian movement grew rapidly and uh, very and faced huge and severe persecution uh, when many many believers were martyred but despite all that the church grew throughout the then known world then around about the year 300 uh, the Roman Emperor Constantine maybe on the basis of if you can't beat them join them Uh, decided to declare the Christian faith legal in the Roman Empire and the Christendom era began. For better or for worse, the Christendom era began then. That era, believe it or not, continued for 17 long centuries, right up to a point in time which occurred within our own lifetimes. It's amazing to think that something so significant happened in our lifetimes and also that it happened so quietly, so unannounced and uh, to a very large extent unrecognised. So these are the three eras up until now uh, which comprise Christian history and we find ourselves now several years into this new so-called post-Christendom era. Now, before I go any further, I want to mention to you that there are five things, I think, that are crucial for us to to reconsider 
uh, given the fact that we live in this new time. The first of those I've already mentioned, we need to understand the nature of these times. Secondly, to, uh, to rediscover the true nature of church. Thirdly, to understand the thinking of people around us. Fourthly, to reconsider the primary ministry of a church. And fifthly, to do what God wants us to do when we meet in the light of the fact that we now live in the post-Christendom era. Now I only have time to consider one of those this morning and hopefully the next time two, two more. And uh, these, the first of these of course is understanding the times in which we are living. So I'm saying to you that this, uh, this long influential era of Christendom came to an end in the 1970s and that uh, since that time uh, we have begun to live particularly as Christians in a very, very different world. Now broadly speaking for centuries, especially in Britain and Europe from which so much of our culture and our Christianity came things had only changed very slowly. Uh, Christian moral, ethical and uh, other standards were acknowledged at least nominally even by non-Christians. There were church buildings in almost every town and city and almost every village often large and ornate and many of those are still standing. Uh, Christian ministers and pastors were amongst the social elite in their communities along with doctors and lawyers and often lived in the best homes in their communities. Virtually every person was considered a Christian in those days in the era of Christendom and therefore evangelism or mission was mainly to overseas countries to which missionaries were sent. Australia uh, was part of the British Empire. There was a strong loyalty to the so-called mother country and the monarch, the queen, uh, or the king as the case may be, was recognised uh, as the head, the head of the Church of England. In Australia, although there was a widespread dislike of authority and institutions, uh, most people at least nominally identified themselves with a particular denomination. Most Australians in the era of Christendom were baptised, christened, confirmed, married and buried in Christian ceremonies in churches. During that era, churches were reasonably well attended and most parents sent their children to Sunday school. Christian characteristics like honesty, fair play, respect, loyalty, fair dealing, trustworthiness were all widely valued. And a man's word, as we said, was his promise. Many business deals were done on the basis of a handshake. Christian churches were seen as community institutions and in a sense as part of the community furniture. Uh, my wife and I were having a cappuccino in a Gippsland town a little while ago and uh, I saw a graphic example of what I've just said to you through the window. Uh, in view uh, were a fire station, a courthouse, a town hall, a hospital, a school and a church all considered in the Christendom era as major components uh, of a civilised Christian society 
But by the mid-20th century, it was clear that Christendom was coming to an end. And soon after that, a number of events, trends and influences occurred in the 60s and 70s that uh, put the last nails in the coffin of Christendom. So let me mention to you what a few of those events were, uh, lest you think I'm exaggerating. In the years between 1965 and 1975, which we now refer to as the decade of change, a number of immensely influential things took place. I'm not mentioning them here in order of importance uh, or relationship, but just as they came to mind. For example, we saw increasing incomes and higher standards of living for many people in the Western world were promised. However, for many other people, uh, that promise did not quite materialise. The bubble burst, and since then, the gap between more affluent people and poorer people in the Western world, including Australia, has begun to increase. In Australia, 30 years on, 10% of our citizens now control 45% of our country's wealth. We saw the rejection for a little while by young Westerners of the materialism of their parents, hence the counterculture movement, the hippie movement, uh, the alternative lifestyle movement and so on. We saw the rejection of the idea of moral absolutes, sometimes called the new morality. The creed of this morality was anything is all right providing no one gets hurt and each person's conscience became their own court of appeal concerning their conduct. We saw the popularisation of the use of hallucinogenic drugs. Many celebrities in the 60s and 70s promoted them as a means of exploring one's personal capacity, discovering oneself, as they used to say. Today, of course, they are used for much more destructive purposes. We saw in that decade the rapid rise of interest in, the, in astrology, the occult, movements which have gathered great momentum since then. We saw a growing fascination with mystical religions, Eastern religions. During this decade, thousands of young Americans, Australians, Canadians uh, went to the East. Many people from our church, Truth and Liberation Concern, uh, went to work with young Indians and Asians found themselves working with young Australians, uh, homesick, sick, broke, lost uh, on, the, on the Pilgrim Trail. We saw, for better or for worse, in the same decade, the advent of rock music, a revolutionary new medium for expressing personal and global concerns. We saw the assassination of several high-profile leaders, President John F. Kennedy, his brother Robert, and Martin Luther King, Jr. We witnessed the Vietnam War in the 60s and 70s with all its division and heartache in America, Australia and, of course, most of all in Vietnam. We witnessed increased civil rights movements in the United States and South, America, South Africa and both were accompanied by much racism, rioting, uh, injustice and bloodshed. We saw the landing of the first man on the moon, a breathtaking achievement which we watched on our TVs 
and which almost all of us can remember uh, when uh, Neil Armstrong said one small step for a man one giant leap for mankind we witnessed the cultural revolution in China Uh, while not occurring in the West uh, its effects are now being felt all around the world the city of Jerusalem came under uh, Jewish control for the first time in nearly 2,000 years or a large part of it and the first photograph of our planet taken from space was published a scientist at the time declared now that we have a picture of our planet from space we will never be able to think of it in the same way again within 18 months of that photograph being taken uh, the modern uh, environmental movement had begun we witnessed the birth of many protest movements and the promotion of large scale civil disobedience also in that decade was the first time ever that most Australians most families owned their own car in 1960 in in Melbourne only 3 out of every 10 families owned a car by 1965 8 out of every 10 families had a vehicle of their own and this new mobility had a huge effect on the way people began to relate socially I remember speaking to a young man around that time about his girlfriend he said yes I've got a girlfriend but he said she is um, um, she is G G A I think he said yeah G A I said what do you mean she's she's G A and he said she's geographically unattainable G U that would be she's geographically unattainable I said what do you mean he said well I live in Mitcham and she lives in Preston and I don't have a car seems we can hardly comprehend that anymore (laughs) geographically unattainable we also witnessed in that decade the beginnings of the feminist movement uh, uh, addressing important issues long overdue but also producing many tensions and misunderstandings some of which continue we witnessed the beginning in Australia of multiculturalism a whole new situation where millions of Anglo-Saxon Australians had their first encounter personally with people from Mediterranean, European and Asian countries. Related to that, we saw the advent of pluralism. In other words, the presence of many people in our country from other countries with their new philosophies, lifestyles, beliefs, religious faiths and even food. Then we witnessed a worldwide surge of nationalism which occurred as colonial powers began to withdraw from the countries they had earlier settled and many new nations were born including in Africa and on the news only last night if you noticed uh, there was an item about the fact that the the Kenyans who who rebelled against their British uh, colonists uh, in the 60s uh, those who still are still alive have succeeded in gaining high court support uh, for their suing the British government for the way they were treated in those days. If all this were not enough, we saw in the same decade the first human organ transplant, which ushered in a whole new range of life-saving surgery. Further, 
we saw the development uh, and acceptance of the contraceptive pill and for the first time a women had real control over their own fertility. We witnessed the legalisation of abortion on demand, of no-fault divorce and of terrorism, uh, the advent of terrorism, especially in the form of uh, hijacking aeroplanes. It began to occur in several countries. Now, the reason why all these things taken together had such a huge effect on society in the Western world is this because most of those things deeply affected the way that uh, we function socially, morally, ethically, spiritually and culturally. These things did not occur overnight, obviously. Um, There were deep-rooted causes which finally brought them about, um, like humanism and rationalism and secularism but they just burst into prominence in the 60s and 70s and converged and combined in such a way that they had a massive uh, effect on Western society and really brought the Christendom era to an end. So this we need to understand because it has many implications for us as Christian people. And furthermore they had such a huge effect for three other reasons because of three things that were developed just prior to the 60s. Number one, the advent of satellite-based global communications. Secondly, the introduction of the first international jet airliner. And thirdly, the beginnings in Western countries of television. Those three uh, vastly improved means of of communication and of travel uh, caused the effect of those events and trends and influences uh, to uh, be spread around the world uh, much, much faster than could ever have been the case before. Now, of course, all of that happened, important though it was, uh, 30 or 40 years ago which means we are 30 or 40 years now uh, into this new post-Christendom era. And so much has happened since then. I won't try and detail it this morning, but I'll just mention a few words. Uh, The internet, computers, emails, mobile phones, Google, iPads, all the rest of it, social networks, etc., 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 rapidly changing, profoundly changing the way that we communicate and relate to each other. Do you know that this week Facebook reached one billion users? If Facebook were a country, in other words, if those one billion were the population of one country, that would make it the third biggest country in the world after China and India. So all of this has happened since that decade of change in the 60s and 70s, as you know very well. But also more loneliness, depression, suicide, family breakdown, uh, and a sense of meaninglessness and futility, and even in many cases, for many people, hopelessness. So what does all this mean for you and I as Christians and our churches? That's the issue we're looking at this morning. It's clear that many churches are struggling to continue 
uh, in this changing world, struggling to adapt rather to this changing world. There are many demographical reasons why some churches are closing uh, because they were built in the horse and buggy days and that's no longer appropriate. Um, In our area, um, churches are becoming houses and houses are becoming churches. That's happening a lot all around the Western world. But more significant is the fact that many relatively active and well-attended churches are also struggling with how to respond and understand such a rapidly changing world. So we shouldn't be surprised at their struggle because this is the first time in Western history that this has happened. This new era is truly unprecedented. For example, never before have Christians found themselves following Christ in a post-Christian era rather a post-Christendom era. The fact that I just made that mistake uh, reminds me of something I should remind you. Um, It's not a post-Christian era, so let's not not misunderstand. This is not a post-Christian era. It's not a post-Gospel era. It's not a post-Kingdom of God era. Um, All that still stands. All of that is as relevant, as true, as factual, as wonderful, as important as ever it was. But it is a post-Christendom era. It is an era now in which we've left behind those 17 centuries in which the Christian faith and the Christian church uh, was prominent and seen as a centre uh, component of society along with all the things that were a part of that. So, what are the implications for us, for we who follow Christ? First of all, this is the first time ever, literally ever, uh, as I said, that uh, Christians have found themselves seeking to follow Christ in a post-Christendom era. This has never happened before. In other words, these are uncharted waters. So, if some of you who are younger think that some of the people here who are older, uh, are not coping with all this change very well, uh, please be patient with them. Uh, Please be sympathetic to them because this has never happened before. There has never been a previous generation of elders or deacons or pastors who've had to face this situation before. And if those of us like me who are younger uh, were in the same situation, we would struggle too. So uh, bear patiently with those of your older leaders. Christian leaders in their 50s, 60s and 70s have never had to lead local churches and follow the Lord in a post-Christendom era. And there are other implications too, one or two I'd like to mention to you. The second is the church as we know it and our practice of it and our understanding of it is for better or for worse a product of an era that is past. Now that we must consider that for better or for worse church as we understand it, know it and practice it is a product of an era that is past and this has never happened before. Now I'm not saying that means the church 
as we know it and understand it and practice it is wrong because it's a product of an era that is past but I am saying it is largely a product of a past era and we need to think carefully about what that means. Thirdly, today members of our churches comprise members, younger and older, who are the, themselves the products of two dramatically different eras of Christian history. And this also has never happened before. Younger and older members of current churches are for the first time ever products of two drastically different eras of world and Christian history. And that has all kinds of implications about the way we hear one another, about the way we understand and relate to each other, about the kind of music we prefer, about what we think should happen in our meetings, lots and lots of implications, which puts quite a bit of pressure uh, on us as groups of God's people, which we need to, um, to understand in order uh, to, to handle well and prevent them becoming means of division, which would be a tragedy because younger Christians now never needed older Christians so much. And older Christians now never needed younger Christians so much. So we have to be careful not to allow the pressures and the outcomes of being products of two different eras uh, to cause us to divide. Now, these are huge issues that previous generations of believers have never faced before. Perhaps you think it would be an idea to get John Wesley or Martin Luther uh, or maybe Paul the Apostle to come and speak here next Sunday and uh, make sense of all this and uh, give us some guidance and advice and tell us what to do. Well, uh, I'm certain that if, uh, if you had John Wesley speaking here next Sunday or Martin Luther or Paul, you'd have a record crowd. Um, the place would be packed and more. But I also think that um, strangely, strange as it sounds, we might be rather disappointed. I think that, uh, for example, Wesley, whom God used to bring about such huge awakenings, would listen to us and look at our era and shake his head in, 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 in great perplexity and say, I don't know, I don't know what to make of this. this, this I've never seen anything like this before because he served the Lord in the Christendom era and so did Martin Luther whom God used to bring about the Reformation, an immensely important event. But he too would say, well, it's beyond me, I'm sorry, uh, I, I, I've never seen a world like this. He too served the Lord in the Christendom era. And what about Paul? Well, uh, you would think he would have an answer, but he would shake his head, I think, and say, sorry, uh, your world bears no resemblance to mine. I served the Lord in a pre-Christendom era. So where would that leave us? <clears throat> well, I think um, before those three men went, they would have one thing to say to us and each of them, I believe, would say the same thing and this is what they would say. They would say, we don't know how to advise you. We've never seen a world like this. 
we are really perplexed just as much as you are. But, but, there is one thing we want to say to you and it's this. Trust God and seek his direction. Trust God and seek his direction. Because, wonderfully, Jesus himself is the Lord of history and the head of the church which is his body so this is where we find ourselves Um, an awesome and a very very different situation so different uh, to anything we've known before now let me finish with this the best response that most churches have made so far is to develop what they call a contemporary service more informal than the old ones more professional in many cases when it comes to music and presentation uh, more user friendly when it comes to building and layout auditorium style like you're going to have here soon the Lord willing all of that good but but not nearly good enough because if you scratch beneath the surface of the understanding and practice of church of both traditional and contemporary churches amazingly it's pretty much the same in other words both traditional and so called contemporary churches still see church primarily as an event to be conducted rather than a people to be equipped still the same Now that's not a new way of being church which is so much needed. That's a new way of being church the old way. And we need much, much, much more than that in the post-Christendom era. So it's imperative therefore that we understand our times and especially um, understand the challenges the new challenges that that brings to Christians as they seek to follow the Lord in their daily lives and especially the challenge that it brings to younger people who are Christians and maybe that's a clue for us as we uh, think about some of the other issues like what is the true ministry of a church and what does God want us to do when we meet in the light of all of this which the Lord willing uh, we will consider uh, when uh, my wife and I come and meet with you again. So thank you and let's bow in prayer. Father, we, uh, we are astounded to, to ponder the world in which we have been called to trust you and to follow Christ. And we are astonished to to discover that it is so very, very different from the eras that have gone before. Father, we know that you don't want us to be daunted and uh, discouraged and, and just uh, become defensive and negative. In fact, we thank you for the privilege, the enormous privilege of being your people and representing you at such a time. And we thank you for the enormous opportunities that it presents. But we do need wisdom and we do need your help 
to distinguish between the things that matter and the things that don't and the things that are truly appropriate and the things that are not and above all Father we need your help to understand what it means to be your people day by day what it means to be the church scattered as well as the church gathered and what it means to be truly in mission rather than maintenance mode Father we look to you for your direction in all of these things and we uh, thank you thank you for your goodness and kindness and patience with us in Jesus name Amen